to another episode of Soul Care with me, Angie Fado. Todd's laughing at me because you can hear the, I guess, the COVID stress in my voice. Um, we are, are we at 100 days yet? Oh, more than 100 days. We're, about, we're over 100 days of quarantining. The teening at the end makes it sound like you're doing, you're having like a, uh, what is the... When can we get it past the teen years, <laughs> yeah. right? And then go on to the corn 20s. Yeah. Or I was thinking, isn't there a drink that's like a something teeny? <laughs> right. An apple teeny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, an apple teeny. We're, yeah. cor- we're doing some corn teeny. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure somebody's thought of that. <clears throat> so we're here. It's casual. Um, I wanted to have Todd come back on because Todd was a guest in my first season and we live together so I don't have to um, travel very far or organize a long distance phone call. It's really a relationship of convenience. (laughs) After 21 years. Um, But there's a more specific reason why I wanted Todd to come back on and one of the main reasons is Because we're together in our house with a lot of time on our hands um, and our dogs, we've had a lot of conversations about what's happening in our world, not just uh, the pandemic of COVID, but racism. And these are conversations that we have had over the course of our 21 years of marriage, but obviously it's intensified. And, you know, we've grown over the years and become more aware of systemic racism and white supremacy. So our conversations have changed. But one of the things I've noticed with all the time on our hands is I would say so um, maybe maybe I'll unpack it. So one of the things that I notice is we've changed as a couple over the years. And in one of the ways that we've changed is I think you've become more you've become softer and more teachable and I have been I've become less fearful about calling stuff out or saying I don't agree with something mm-hmm. or you know, saying, I don't, I don't think that that's the right way to go about it. And we try to be loving, but I'm saying all that to say that the conversations have been intense in some ways, but loving because we want, that's always been the nature of our relationship is we want each other to grow. Since our very first date, we, you know, just the confrontations <laughs> yeah. that we would have because I I think we're both fighting for an authenticity that for us was like the bedrock of, of a relationship that would last. Yeah. And also I think we had both been in other relationships and I don't think this is every woman's experience, but a lot of women I think experience being in a place where before they're in a relationship with a man, if I don't, I don't know what it's like to be in a relationship with another woman, but with a man, 
<clears throat> often our needs become something that we aren't really even allowed to assert or mm. have. They get absorbed because of patriarchy and, in my experience, direct rela- related to how the church sees women. So all of that, you know, I I was bold in the beginning and I think I've always been bold but there's just things that I wouldn't say to you or I'd try to couch it in a way that I felt like you could handle it and I think because of the work I've been doing um you know over the last well since Trump got elected you know studying anti-colonial work and white supremacy um, just all the reading I've done in my group, it's it's made me less fearful about just having a conversation because I want to have a conversation that doesn't make somebody feel like there isn't an entry point. Mm. But I also want us to <laughs> iron sharpens iron. <laughs> well, you know, you, as you were talking, I was thinking about the the, the term that for me has as kind of like uh, poked the 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 poke the poke the bear mm-hmm. more than anything is the idea of fragility, and I think that there's a to- less of a tolerance for fragility in general. Yeah. Now, like now more than ever. Yeah. I think and so right. for you, you know, you've been honing this sense of like, okay, what's the difference between me being loving towards somebody and me or me, you know, trying to tiptoe around their fragility. And I will say on one level, it's, it's extremely uncomfortable to recognize that there's, that, that I have tons of fragility issues. Yeah. But on the other side, it, it's, it's refreshing because I'm not, you know, there's nowhere to hide if you're fragile. You know what I mean, and in a pandemic. No, that's true. <laughs> but there's no way to there's no there's no place to hide uh, if you're fragile anymore. I mean, you know, n- not a day goes by where there's not another you know Karen video or or some sort of video that is saying, "Look at this person." They're you know, and it's and it's um, I've seen a lot of different things about people saying saying you know what's good about call out culture and what's bad about call out culture or whatever. But I feel like. Fragility is is under scrutiny more than, than anything, and I think that that uh, what you were saying about me being careful that I you know this is what you could handle you know it was all about that the patriarch you know patriarchy like that is saying you know be careful this is a man's pride you're dealing you know, with <clears throat> and all this stuff like as if women's pride is meaningless you know yeah. and yeah um, but yeah that. I feel like you've been more able to spot those things and I've been more receptive to look at those things. Yeah, and I think, you know, that there's a lot of work behind that yeah. that that we've done over the years that I think has a lot of hard conversations that probably had nothing, well, probably everything has to do with patriarchy and white supremacy, but <laughs> we didn't know we were talking about it. That we've been able to, you teach yourself how to have hard conversations. And when you teach yourself how to have converse, hard conversations and walk through those conversations, you 
teach yourself that it's possible and you can do it again and again. It's mm. like when we went to the river the other day and it is freezing and I've been going to the river all winter, getting in that frigid water, at least up to my butt, <clears throat> kind of going, you know, doing a polar dunk because it's all mountain um, water. Yeah. Right? Frozen uh, runoff it's from melted snow. And we were all in the water. It was a super hot day. So I have this pattern of being able to do it all winter, and then I could not do it. Mm. I was, And you were in the water, which you're never in the water before me. And I was like, what is going on? And then I got in the water, you know, dunked down all the way in. And I was like, oh, it's not as cold as I thought. And... I realized that I had, because I had gone all winter, I had kind of worked myself up into this fear that it was going to be as cold. Hmm. And so then I was like standing there making it much bigger than it actually was and talking to myself out of it and I don't want to be cold and I'm standing in the hot sun. It's very similar. It's a we, metaphor for... Yeah, we have to teach ourselves how to have hard conversations. And I would... I would go as far as saying loving loving conversations probably isn't the right word. Negotiations, maybe? <clears throat> yeah, but it's like we're having these conversations because m- maybe we don't love the person, but sometimes it's because we love the person if it's family, parents, grandparents. Um, but it's also because... We love our world. We love mm. humanity. And if we don't love humanity, we definitely have to take a look at that. Because everything is connected to that. That it's all interconnected. And that's and that's kind of why... That's another... No, it's not kind of. That's exactly why I wanted to talk to you about it. Because the more we talked, the more I started to discover how those things like patriarchy and white supremacy and racism and ableism and you know all of the anti lgbtq all of the you know all of the things that say you're not okay they thrive off of each other and they grow and expand and expand and as we were talking in the back backyard the other day I mean, I am well aware that my, and I've said this before, but my liberation as a woman in the world, not fitting whatever traditional mold there is, and never have, physically or, you know, emotionally or job-wise, I don't fit, you know, and... My liberation, and I said this to you, and it only became came out because we were talking about something hard. Mm-hmm. Like, you not wanting to go to the protest. Mm-hmm. And I said to you, I don't have a choice. Mm. And I know probably other white women maybe feel like they have a choice. And I'm not even talking about showing up bodily. You should be protesting in every way possible if you can't show up bodily with how you spend your money, 
with who you support, who you vote for, all of it. Mm. But I, I have been an intersectional feminist since I discovered the word, and I discovered the word because of Charlotte Yates. Yeah, Charlotte. I was talking about being a feminist, and she goes, "Oh, have you heard of intersectional feminism?" And this is probably like at least twelve years ago. And I was like, no, what is that? And she explained it to me and I went, oh, that's what I am. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what intersectional feminism is, I should have the name of the woman that created it. It's a black woman. And um, the definition is, you know, I'm not going to get it right, but my liberation as a white woman, your liberation as a white man, mm. whatever that is, because it feels like you're already pretty liberated, mm. Um it's all tied up in the liberation and the freedom of black and brown and indigenous people. And unless we recognize that it is tied up together, mm-hmm. it's not worth anything. My liberation as a white woman means nothing if trans and queer people aren't, don't have the same rights as I have. It means nothing. And so as we were talking, I looked at you and I said, I don't feel like I have a choice, especially as someone who survives, survived child sexual trauma and has, has to carry that violation around with them mm. to some degree and will for the rest of my life and who walks around in a female body, anybody walking around in a female body knows what it's like to, to have unwanted either violation, comments, catcalls, being followed, all of it. And so that is our one entry point. If that's all we ha- if that's all we can identify with as women, I said to you, that's our one entry point. That is our empathy button. And if we can touch or relate to that empathy button on even to me that's the smallest relation point then we can go oh my god what have i been doing i don't feel like i have a choice obviously i have a choice you know i haven't gone to one since last week i have a choice do you mean what have you been doing not not supporting yeah Is that what you, oh. and, you know, if I haven't been, if we, if you haven't yeah. been supporting, where, where have I been doing all this time? Or it's all of a sudden when I was talking to you, even though I, I have been protesting for a long time in my life, in my history. Uh, if we, if you haven't, it's a really good as, as women, it's a really good, I feel like empathy connecting point to go, Oh, I'm in the skin of a woman which means I constantly have to be on guard. I, I sometimes can't go out at night. You know, like I was just listening, reading something in the movement. You know, black trans women have been targeted and women have been targeted by violent white supremacists. Mm. And so physically, you're walking around in a, in a body that presents as female you know what that feels like. That is the only connection point I can make to what it might feel like to walk around in black and brown skin. Mm. 
that's it. That's all I got. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because, um, yeah, I mean, those are the things that I had the, at, at first the hardest time looking at because I had um, reaped the benefits of, of white male skin mm-hmm. by, by sitting back and going, well, I'm not, I don't do that. And it, it reminded me of the time when I was at a uh, Slater Kenny show, or it might have even been Excuse 17 or something, uh, Corin's band before that. Um, and they were opening for Hazel. This is a Portland, Portland uh, indie rock history. But I went, uh, so I was there and I was near the stage, but not in the pit. I kind of stayed away from that. And, and there was a, some, some bros that were in the pit and just like pushing up against people that didn't want to get me pushed up against. And, um, and especially some, some women that were up in the front and at one point, they just stopped their song. Corn stops their song, and it's like, all right, let's stop this. We're, you know, we want all the women to come up on stage. And I was, I remember be, being, feeling outrage, like that I was, that I was somehow uh, put lumped together with all these bros in the, in the pit that we're shoving up against, you know, and I'm, you know, before any of the, before any of the call out of, you know, whatever, I was, I was like, not, not all men. I was, I was, I was the guy. I was the not all men in that, <clears throat> at, at La Luna that, that night. And, um, and I did something that in my, in, in my, in my day, I considered, you know, a courageous act. And I jumped up on stage so offensive to me. <laughs> I know, I know. And uh, how old were you? Oh, probably twenty three or twenty. Not that it matters. But... No, no, no. I mean, old enough to know better. Yeah. Um, so I jump up, jump, jumped up on stage with all these women, and immediately I was pushed down. You know, put just pushed down on, on onto the stage on the stage, and they're like, "Get out of here!" And I'm like, and I'm and I'm sitting there thinking, you know. They can't put. They can't lump me in with all these people or whatever, and then I they one person pushed me down like they were gonna push me off the stage, and I ran into the um, in, into the monitor speaker, and and it hurt, you know. And they're like, "Oh, did you get hurt? Oh, good. Well, what are you?" And then they said, "Are you are you a fag or whatever?" Is what they said. Ooh. And I'm like, I'm like, why why would that matter? And they're like, "Well, you could be up here if you know if you were queer, you know, or whatever." And back then, I'm just like. What? I had no, I mean, I had no concept of what was going, obviously, I had no concept of what was really happening. But um, I got down off the stage, uh, there was a big cheer from the the women that were, that had managed to get me Ooh. off, get, <laughs> managed to get me off the stage. <laughs> so. This is not a kid show. And I was not, and, and, and be, before that, the re, I, I think the reason why it, it, it hit me so much is that not long before that, like maybe probably a week or two before that, I went to Lollapalooza and Hole was playing. Courtney Love said the very exact same thing from stage. Let's get all the girls up on stage. And I, you know, and at that point I wasn't down in the pit. I was just like up on the hill kind of. And, uh, 
and so I was able to kind of have this sort of aloof kind of, you know, distant, you know, judgment of, of well, I had judgment of her in general anyway, <clears throat> but, but just that sense of like, <clears throat> how's I going to solve anything? What are you trying to do? So that when this happened at this other show, I felt like, well, I got to do something. So that potential, that, 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 that in me, in my mind is, it's like here we go again, where this white, you know, white supremacy is this, is this thing, you know, and, but I'm not that, you know, and, and that was, and it's interesting because everything about us is that and reflects that and we are that. No, exactly. So as we've been talking, I think one of the things that has been, the you said that you said the that that being a woman you know in your skin this is and and, and being a survivor that was your small point of empathy my problem was i couldn't find any point of empathy or i identified with the the people that i identified as another one of the victims of white supremacy and the and on some level on some level, it is true because we're all the victims of white supremacy yes. in, in the system in a systemic way. But I am not in any way a victim of what I'm. I, I am the. I am. I'm the. I'm on top of the heap. Yeah. And um, so I think that my first my, my first step of realizing, okay, you know, look, you you are not who you say you are, and you are not the. You know, just by nature of who, the way you look, you are by nature, you are, you have the privilege to wake up, go outside your door, have a house. Not be afraid. Not be afraid. Walk around in bare feet, you know, just flailing my arms around, dancing to headphones, jogging if I want to, uh, you know. With a mask on. With a mask on, without a mask on, you know, cuss off, cuss out cops, do whatever I want to do. In this world, and and uh, and white supremacy, I'm I, I am just beginning to see is that is that I'm oblivious to the fact that I can do that. You don't, and I think that that's the thing that you know activists and writers have been trying to tell white people is you not thinking about it. Is the privilege, that's the, that's and it's the like yeah. you know, white people keep saying stuff like, "Well, I'm I'm not privileged. I don't have my own house. I have a shitty job. I mm-hmm. didn't go to college. I come from poverty." Yes, it's not a feeling of privilege; it's the reality of. I think as I was starting to look at this, the thing that the thing that is the clearest example of this in my mind is a moment of clarity around doing music in the church that my, that I grew up in and um, not wanting to do it. But for me, that realization and our conversations leading to that realization. So it felt like first was fragility, 
Second was recognizing the actual, that I'm at the top of the heap, regardless of whether or not I want to be there or I feel like it. Yeah. And then the third thing I think that, that really needed to be torn down was um, the idea of the only way that I could be accepted by you, by our friends that are activists, by coworkers that are activists, is by living my life on other people's terms. And by that I mean um, not having any ownness. I ha- I'd, have to, I'd have to surrender my will mm. to Can you flush that out? growing up. And since I played piano, um, that I would be expected to aid whenever there Serve was the Lord. <laughs> whenever there was a need to to just step in and and play the piano. Um, Do you mean like whether you wanted to or not? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was kind of like, well, my son knows how to play piano, mm-hmm. and it was there was even there wasn't even a question. Yeah, posed to me, and I think over time that got to me. And at one point, I did. You had a resentment building. Yeah, and and I again, and that I, I I didn't, I hadn't fully formed the, the idea to to, to be in protest of it, um, but I said, I you know what I would like to be asked, because if I am not asked, it feels like I'm just being used up, and that was those are the words that I used. And that was the worst fight that my, my dad and I had ever gotten into. And I was in my 20s at the time when I say, said it. So, but that had been brewing for two decades. Well, I'm sure they didn't ask me when I was a baby. But, um, <laughs> you know, for a long time. And what that communicated to me is that unless, I and mean, there were like words exchanged like, what about your servant attitude and all this kind of stuff, insinuating that if I did not do these things, that I wasn't a servant, that I wasn't, that I didn't care about God or that I didn't care about the word or, you know, and whatever. And also below that is that God doesn't love you. God doesn't want you if you aren't doing these things. And if you have the talent, then you have no choice. You just do this. Yeah, you use it up. You co-signed away, you know, you, you, you gave away the right to choose when you have this talent. And so my voice and my, talent and my you know my ability was just basically kind of co-opted by the church in that moment and so there had been since then a pretty long voyage back to recalibrating and and understanding how I can make things my own because that wound was deep Mm. but it also just spoke to a lot of other things you know abuses uh, you know, just other things that don't need to be talked about in this podcast, but but that led to me feeling like I don't, you know, the only way that I'm going to be accepted is if I play by their rules, and so that was a word that I that I that I I say okay, do whatever you want. I'm I'm just a I'm just a tool. So it's almost like it set you up in a way. Until you could, till you can, and I'm sure it's going to be a work of a lifetime, 
because it's a big wound is it set you up to be reactionary instead mm. of reflective. Right. Well, and, and to be able to... Which to, we all have those yeah, things. Yeah, and, and to be able to take something that, ooh, I have a, I have a, I have a check about that. Oh, it probably has to do with feeling like I don't matter or I don't, I don't have value unless I can do this. Mm-hmm. And knowing that the next step for me was to take some sort of action um, to the, in this present day and what we're talking about, you know. Um, I had that check. Mm-hmm. Because I was seeing if you are, if you love, if you value the the black people in your life you will do this oh you don't do this then you don't love the black people in your life you don't have it you you this blah 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 and there's just that same and it was it had the energy because it had the same um it, it 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 had the same intensity for me now i'm not saying that it's not warranted in this situation yeah. at all. I'm just saying that when I heard that, I heard you're you fine. aren't. Yeah, you're 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 not doing what you need to be doing in this situation. That you know, in this situation, warrants your activity. Why are you sitting there? You lazy, blah blah blah. You why are you you have this talent to bring your your you know your audience this message. You have this platform. Why aren't you using it? You know, and just this sense of, okay, so if I let that happen and I just co-opt and just and just literally jump in the stream and repost and, you know, do all this stuff, is that really me? And I want it to map. I want it to not just make a difference for the world, but I want it to be, I don't want to be out there and and feeling like, this isn't really what I'm about and I'm a fraud. I don't want to be, I don't, you know, and so a lot of that stuff goes back to that fragility thing. And interest. Yeah. Again, that's and that like, imposter, you know, syndrome kind of thing. And again, it's like, even though it doesn't feel like it, that is a privileged conversation that you get to have. Exactly. And I do too. That I can just sit back and go, but, but, but you know, and, and, and I, yeah. and because my life's not on the line. Yeah. It isn't. My feelings are on the line. Yeah. <laughs> and and those are important. And I think white people and I've had conversations with my parents about this and with other people that are, you know, older than me and it's like their feelings equal their being. If you don't yeah. care about their feelings, you don't care about them. Yeah. And so it's like that's that's a that's a white supremacy thing. Ooh, yeah, because then that is like a tit for tat. You can't and so when you you're loud, really... when you're loud at me, you hurt my feelings. Well, I can do whatever the hell I want to you. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's really, it's almost like in those situations, there's no entry point for a conversation because any pushback against them is an attack against who they are. That's right. And, and, you know, coming from a punk situation where, you know, people, you know, it's normal. It's normalized to be screaming everything you yeah. you feel and everything you say and everything you know. So there is a sense of a what a numbing effect of like oh yeah this you know that person could be saying this stuff and it could just be emo and so they're just talking about their girlfriend or whatever. Yeah. 
And I definitely have that where the, the fear of a person wanting to attack me because of how loud they're talking or how loud they're, you know, emoting or whatever isn't, doesn't enter in to the, the equation. Like it doesn't bother. But in other people, yeah. definitely, absolutely, oh, sure. you know, you just raise your, vo- your voice and they're like, oh, and, you know, insert Karen video here. You, you keep know. using the Karen video. You probably not everybody knows what that is because it's more true. It is kind of a it is kind of a dog so just, whistle for like for so people. Explain. What is that? Oh well, and, and actually, I got I got called this uh, in school, and um, I had just learned what it was at your job. At is my that, job, you can't just say school. What sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I, I work at uh, I work at an elementary school, and one of the parts of my day as I was working uh, during a study hall for fifth grade students. And the school that I work at is right down the street from where we live. And the school has the the largest populace of black students in Oregon. Um, and so tensions are, you know, during, during uh, begin, beginning of the pandemic, but also just uh, as the police brutality was was just putting a, a a more clear and clear spotlight of things needing to change um these students were taking you know taking that on too you know and um i don't remember if it was even just i think it was some, some sort of classroom thing you know uh, management thing I, I need you to do this and not do this and then like okay karen or whatever yeah. it'd be like saying Okay, boomer. It 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 is sort of a catch-all phrase I've I had learned to uh, after you went home and looked it up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> a catch-all phrase for uh, for white women. White women. White women that are mistaking some sort of simple thing that a that a black person is doing in their lives. Whether it's whether it's well, I think it started from I wouldn't the woman say that, mistake. I, I think it started from the woman that called the cops on a little girl that was selling lemonade outside of her oh, yeah. apartment. That lady. Yeah. And, and like, how many just, times have our kids sold? No, I know exactly. Lemonade. So just like being you know, the, just the crime of being black is what it comes comes up. Yes. It's like you know, white women that are uh, you know Indignant, and they're so they they're making a nine one one call to take care of this you know this the situation or whatever, and and then so 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 what people have, have taken to do doing is video videoing these you know these women, um, and so that just to show that this happens every day yeah to 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 every black person. No matter if they're a child or a, That's it. a grandpa. Yeah, and, and, and you know, there's never a date that goes by where some new video isn't coming up where this person was literally waiting for Western Union check to come in at a Walgreens. So they were kind of sitting there because Western Union, when you're doing the transfer, it takes a little bit of time. So he's just standing out there and somebody called the cops on him. And he's like, I didn't, I, I'm just standing here. They even know what I'm doing. You can, I'll give you my sister's cell phone number. Things that we would never have to do. And a guy literally jumped, like tackled him down onto the ground. This guy who was like three times the size of this guy. Anyway, this, this that's. Police officer. Anyway, so those are, that's, so anyway. So, that's a, yeah, that's what you mean when you're saying Karen. Yeah, insert, insert that, that sense of indignant you know oh i can't believe it because your feelings are being hurt or you know and or somebody oh you know yeah 
Oh, there's there. It, yeah. It is anyway, nothing it's, a rap, it's definitely a rap. unadulterated racism. Right. Aaron. Right. But 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 masquerading as this this the sense of. Oh, I'm protecting myself because I'm in I'm in trouble. I'm just, in, yeah yeah. Anyway, so we could go so down a rabbit hole. No no no. But I, but I but it, but again, it, it just ties into uh, the the idea of fragility mm-hmm. and white people's feelings are their being. You know, and and um and I and I and I think that when I recognize and I and I call it in my mind, it's sort of like. <laughs> It reminds me of that movie uh, Inside Out when you're when you're uh, when you have like little islands dedicated to different parts of your psyche, you know. And this this I feel like being a part of the club is is that island in my psyche of the, of am I a part of this club or am I not a part of this club? I am am I you know? And in my history, a lot of the times that I was able to make myself a part of the club was by making the club by by being the owner of the club mm-hmm. um, and. And, uh, and then you get to do it on your terms. Yes. No, that's the thing. It's like, again, that's a total, it's a total uh, response to that wound. You know, mm-hmm. I'm never going to be, uh, you know, be worried about, worried about giving up my will, whatever. Uh, you know, I'll always, I I'll always have buy-in because I'm the one that owns it. I'm the one that bought it, you know, or whatever. Um, but in this case, you know, I felt like, well, in order for me to be in the club, I've got to look like them. I've got to do these things. I've got to, I got to wear the, you know, I've got to do the posters and whatever. And so there was this privileged resentment that I was building up inside of myself. It was like, well, how is this any different and blah, blah, blah. And when you said that thing about the liberation of black and brown people in this country is tied to your own liberation. I realized what I wanted was to be free. Yeah, none of us. I none want to of be, us are free. I want to be free from feeling like I'm in a club or not in a club or where's this and what's that. And, but that takes dismantling so much. Yeah, it's fucking and, and, scary. And and and, uh, and that's the thing is like, I, I think that you said that and I was like, please tell me what I need to do. And I think we went the next day to that protest led by that 10 year old boy, Aiden. God, that was so powerful. (laughs) So we, let me hold that thought for a second. So I had found out, um, that there was a protest happening. It was a 10 year old boy. It's in a neighborhood. Yeah. It's in a neighborhood called Columbia village that, um, we know the history, a little bit of the history about that because of Todd and my work with Vanport Mosaic. I won't get into that, but there was a flood. A lot of people that survived that flood ended up in Columbia Village. It's predominantly black and brown. And um, we got to do some some stuff there. And um, anyway, he he wanted to put on a march for Black Lives Matter and we show up, you know, I can't even explain it, but it was, it's much like, um, what I talked about when I got to see Brennan and Tamia do archery for the first time. First, you know, they're kind of started, they start slumped over, mm. they're nervous, they're not in their bodies, they're not owning their kind of space in the world, and 
you know, after they shoot for a while and they hit their target, I watch them embody themselves in such a powerful way that we all are longing for to just embody Mm. who we are and be ourselves in the world, whatever that looks like. So he starts and his, his mom is a teacher and she's saying Aiden really wanted to do this. We're here to support Aiden. We're here to support our future, which is our children, and to make a world that's safe for them. And then she made Aiden say something on the mic. And he's like, <laughs> um, thank you all for coming. And my mom always, to my To my protest. To my protest. Yeah. My mom always says, you can't just be, what is it, non-racist? Yeah, non-racist. You can't just be not, 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 a, racist. not a racist. You have to be anti-racist. So... So quiet, so nervous. This is an amazing protest because, you know, everyone I've been to has been very, very well attended, very well organized. Like there's masks, there's hand sanitizer, there's posters if you don't have your own poster, there's snacks, there's water. And people show up in mass and he had over a thousand people show up to his protest. It was unbelievable. Lots of children, lots of of families. And then by the end, and I'm going to let Todd talk about his experience, but by the end, he is reading his spoken word and like yelling into the mic, we can't just be non-racist, we have to be anti-racist. And then everybody's like, woo! (laughs) So I got to see this 10-year-old boy just own himself in the world. And it was a, it's, it is, it just goes, we got to put that in our back pocket. Whenever we own who we truly are in the world, there is power and magic to that. Mm. And it's an unstoppable force. Yeah. And whenever we can give that platform to another child, we, we're, we're investing in a, a beautiful, loving future is what we're doing. And be like, so when I went there, I looked around and then, you know, just this sea of people. And I felt shame. Like, why did it take me so long? And I felt, uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the biggest one is that shame of like, you know, what's wrong with me that I can't, I can't just do this because there's just people that are there. Um, you know, and, and showing up. With screaming babies and... <laughs> yeah, and all of it, you know, and it's like, I love this kind of stuff. This is the, this is me, you know, this is me, this is like me going to the club. This is a feeling I, 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 I've so long forgotten of being with people. Um, and I think that's, that's another thing too, is that, that we're, we were, we were socially distanced, but we were with each other. And that's something about that, that, oh Yeah. This is what it's like, mm-hmm. you know, that is so beautiful. And, um, and as we're walking, I'm just saying the chance with the people. In all its awkwardness. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> we're laughing because it's kind of like echoing in the front of the line is, and the back is, is, is and off. The front of the line is like blocks in front of us. Yeah, and yeah. So the, by and the time just, the chant gets to us, it's, it's like cascading gone. like yeah. a wave of, of sound, which is kind of cool too. Um, and... I look over and I see, you know, everybody's wearing masks and I look over and I see this woman. I'm like, is that Miss Michelle? And it's like this coworker who's in a, in a, a master's program like I am right now. And I was like, oh, I don't want to, 
embarrass myself and if know, it's not her if it's not her so we're literally just walking next to each other just chanting or whatever and she's not saying anything and I'm not saying yeah. anything and we're like ah, and and <laughs> And our kids just come up to me and just say, Mr. Todd, Mr. Todd. And they did not social distance. They, no, <laughs> they, they totally hugged you. They did not, they did not sanitize their hands. <laughs> and so I just looked at them and I, they just hugged me. And I just said, oh my God. And I was so blown away by the feeling of just fighting alongside them. And uh, <laughs> and Miss Michelle was just like, "Yeah, I told him it's Mr. Todd over there." And I'm like, "Why didn't you say anything?" <laughs> She's not gonna do the work for you. Why does she have to take the risk of pointing out? And, that? Yeah, and then then they were off. They ran off with their friends or whatever. And and I was just like, "Oh, yeah, I'm a part of this community." That you already loved. I'm a part of these people's lives, and they are worth it to me. Yeah, they worth they are worth all of the discomfort that I could possibly feel. They are worth all of the the discomfort of my process. They are worth all of it, and more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but I hope it's been really clear in this like pro in this podcast that it's like it was not a process that I was I it was a process I was reluctant to go through. Um and uh there are all uh, there are all perfectly justified reasons in my own mind mm -hmm. for me to hold on to these things as there will be for you. Yeah. As there will be for you, you will have perfectly justified reasons. Mm -hmm. And this process is important, I think, for every white person to go through. Yeah. Um, and I can't dictate to you how it's going to look. And I also can't say you have to do it this way or you're not going through it or whatever. Um, but I just, based on what I was able to see, I got to say that... Um, I found myself in, in, in a way that I was not expecting. And, um, and that was what I was after all along, this sense of authenticity. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. anyway. Yeah, I think, um, again, it's, it's like, you know, just reiterating what you're saying. It's not about physically showing up and protesting. Because not everybody can do that. And I want to make it very clear that that is not what we're suggesting. If you are immune compromised or live with somebody that's immune compromised or have trauma that is associated with crowds or whatever, whatever you're struggling with that would prevent you from showing up physically, that is okay. The protest can happen by not showing up, but what we're trying to talk about is the work that goes into showing up. It's like Todd's work doesn't start, stop 
now that he's showed up to a protest and we've had all those conversations and we'll go to another, another protest. The work is every day. The work is owning when we mess up and being willing to make those mistakes so that someone can say to you, mm. hey, when you said that, this is what I heard and this is what I felt. And then we can go, oh my God. Mm-hmm. I hadn't realized that. I see what you're saying and I am so sorry. I will work on that. Also, you know, I think hopefully most of us um, have learned, most white people have learned that um, when you don't know how to do something, when you're not sure of the next step to take, don't ask black and brown people to do that work for you. Just like don't ask a queer community to teach you how to be an ally to the queer community, to any community. Look around you. There are people doing the work. In fact, you know, I, I mean, I have tons, tons of work left to do. This is going to be a work of a lifetime, just like my own mental health is going to be the work of my lifetime. But I have resources that I have compiled that you can tap into. Books that I've read, books that are on my reading list, articles, podcasts. Um, so I've compiled stuff already for you if you want to tap into that and I'll um, put a link in my bio for that. But it is so important to not ask people that are fighting for their lives right now to educate you. That is on you. That is your job. You're not going to go to a survivor and say, hey, tell me about your abuse and how I cannot trigger you. Hmm. You're going to go around, you're going to read some articles, you're going to develop a conversation. And as you build relationship with that person, maybe the conversation will open up where that person could go, hey, when you did that, that was a total trigger for me and that can't happen again. And then that is a place for you to own it and go, hey, um, you know, I'm sorry and I see what you're saying. Because you did the pre-work. It's about the work and we are going to have to work and work and work because, you know, this isn't going to happen overnight. Yeah. These are entrenched systems rooted in racism and white supremacy and they are not going to be overturned in any country very fast. Yeah. Um, did you have some? No, I, I'm just listening to you, and I think you. I mean, I, I think that that's. You know, we have to start where we are, acknowledge. You know, and sometimes it's hard to know even where you are. Yeah, or and to then, even start. Right, but there are enough people. There are enough white people that have looked at a lot of these things. Flubbed up. Yeah, and 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 um, been able to. Um see their fragility, see their privilege, and see their resistance from, from you know, taking the next step. Yeah. Um, the enough that, enough that there, there's bound to be somebody that has a very similar story as you, mm-hmm. that you can walk, walk a similar path. It can be yeah. your own. And yeah, there's also, you know, um, there's also a black 
people that have written really amazing books for white people to look at their fertility. Um, yeah, and, and I think that that's, that's definitely a first start for, I mean, for, I'll bet for a lot of people yeah. because they don't, uh, they don't recognize, you know, that that's, a, that that's a hindrance for even taking a first step. Yeah, I do want to say um, there's one thing that I think happens when white people show up to things. We assert our privilege and our power because we are blind to it. And this happened all the time in the community that Todd and I were a part of where we would be doing something. You know, we had a very vulnerable community and then some visitor would come and we'd have an open mic and our tradition was to not just let anybody get up on the mic because we grew up in church and we know how people use that. And then some jackass would um, get on the mic and start spouting his privilege and his patriarchal bullshit and then we'd have to clean up the mess. Hmm. If you were a white man showing up at a protest, your only job is to keep your fucking mouth shut. That is your only job. Hmm. And same with white women. Our job is to keep our mouth shut, use our bodies. And I'm not saying don't chant, you know. I'm, I'm saying your job is to not take up space. Your only job is to physically take up space, be present, put your body in front of any kind of that's scary, I know. Put your body in front of any kind of attack. Mm. But we do this thing where we show up and we suck the air out of a movement because we are not aware that we do it. And that we need to make it about ourselves. Yeah, like, how can I come into a place where my voice isn't supposed to be heard and I'm not supposed to be the center of attention? Mm. Or, and I was taught by, um, I went to this, um, this is years ago, I went to this anarchist um, summit and um, there was a woman speaker, a Native American woman <clears throat> was the guest speaker and there was a woman han- handling the question and answer time and she was a black activist. And before she even started, she said, this is how it's going to go down. I will take your questions, but we will take black and brown questions first, then women, and then men, if we still have time. The reason we're doing that is we are elevating the voices that are often not heard. And the reason they're not heard is because there used to be not heard and other people, you know, jumping in first and them not even getting a chance. So first, black and brown voices, then women. And then men, and I was like, my life was changed in that moment. Yeah. I was like, I am doing everything that way from now on. Yeah. Because I knew what it was like to sit in a room and want to say something in a room full of men and women and want to say something and never get the opportunity because mm-hmm. the men just always, they didn't even raise their hands. They just fucking took over. So I know that it's hard. It's not hard for everybody because some people are used to not speaking but if you show up in your white body, be aware of that. 
it's nothing to be ashamed of. I don't, I have enough shame. I don't want to be ashamed of, you know, living in a white body, which I struggle with mm-hmm. because it, it just is. It's what I, you know, I am walking around white and that, that, that has its own stuff with it. Mm-hmm. But if you go into these places where people are risking their lives and you can just support and listen and listen. And that was my next thing, you know, just support and listen. That's all you have to do. Do what you're told unless you don't like what they're asking you to do. And it's against your, you know, your, who you are as a person, then you can walk away and go to a different one. You're going to find ones that work for you. Hmm. So I, and I also want to remind everybody that shame is corrosive and shame stops us from showing up mm. in whatever way you're going to show up online, writing letters, making phone calls, giving money. Shame stops us. Yeah. Shame stops us from speaking out because we're so hyper conscious of what we say and so afraid of being called out for saying it wrong mm-hmm. that we don't show up and say anything. That's right. That's a privilege. And I, I, and I know it is hard to work through shame, but if you, if you sit with whatever is motivating you, like Todd described, which, you know, you can, you can, what is, the, what is the thing you always say, Todd, where you can recalibrate? No, take it from the back end. And oh yeah. Reverse engineer. It. Yeah. You can reverse engineer it to fit what you, what you're struggling with. Cause not everybody is struggling with what Todd was struggling with, but sit with yourself Acknowledge it. Because if Todd hadn't acknowledged what was going on inside of him, he would not have gotten to the point that he got to. Mm. The importance is, I see this thing in myself. I don't like it, but it is inside of me. It is part of me. So I'm going to acknowledge that feeling, that fear, that angst, whatever it is, and I'm going to sit with it. And then I'm going to look at either the counterpart or what I could do to kind of, maybe I can't go to a protest yet, but I could show up to, you know, a vigil. Whatever it is that kind of gets the juices flowing of looking at that stuff and owning it. And then doing the work of starting to educate yourself if you haven't. Mm-hmm. Because it's, again, it's a lifetime work. And it is okay, I said this last week, it is okay to be where you're at. It is not okay to stay where you're at. I'm going to say that one more time. It is okay to be where you're at at the beginning, if you're at the beginning, but it is not okay to stay where you're at. I just want to say your vulnerability is really powerful and um, it's nothing to sniff at, (laughs) nothing to poo-poo. And I really appreciate you showing up in that way for everybody listening because I know it's, it's hard to show up with your um the things that you're embarrassed about or ashamed of on full display it's hard for for anybody it's hard well thank you for uh taking this journey with me for 20 years 20 21 years oh you got it wrong well it's gonna be 22 um this (laughs) this year it's a lucky number yeah okay everybody Thank you for listening. Remember that you can find me on AngieFatal.com or Soul Care Angie Fatal. Pretty much I have a unique name, um, so you should be able to find me. And you can find Todd um, 
under his name. <laughs> and you can also find our music, Agents of Future, or anything that Todd's doing. All the quirky um, cartoons and stuff that he makes. I recommend um, delving into that Pandora's <laughs> box. And remember who you are. Because, again, like Aiden, when you show up who mm-hmm. you are, the world, is, the world changes. That's right. You are worth knowing. You are worth loving. You're worth being in this world. Take care, everybody. B side, B side, we gotta go to the B side. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. Oh, darn it. Da, da, da. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I just I wanted to share this story because um, one of the jobs before I, I was in, before I uh, landed at Boise Elliott Humboldt Elementary, was I was working at Access Academy. And at Access Academy, um, I happened to run into. Uh, my friend Jody Blaley, who drummed for Hazel, who you mentioned, in the- who I well, who, who the that band uh, headlined at the show that I I, I spoke about, um, where I got up where on stage, did thing. where I did my thing, my not all man, not all men thing, and um, I decided to share that story with Jody, and uh, oh, I forgot about that. Uh, because we got to be friends, and, and I, um, Jody's son was there, and in my in, in a, went to an the after school. school group, and yeah, it was an after school group that I I, I did, and and so we got a chance to, and, and Jody actually volunteered a few times, so we we had some good good conversations, and so the uh, so we came up, and and I just said, uh, yeah, and uh, I felt really bad that I had that I'd done that. And, uh, and she said, you know what? I'm glad, you know, I would do it all again. I'm glad, I'm glad we said that. That was a moment where, where, where the women on that stage, they needed, we needed to express that. And, you know, um, it happened that, and, and you needed to see it. You needed to see that that's, that's not where you needed to, where you needed to, you know, Make your stand, yeah. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm not really. Basically, it was like I'm not really sorry about that. Of but course. I, but I get, yeah. but 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 I, but I, but I get what what you were going through. You know, she was very, she was very kind and accommodating because we were friends and whatever. But I, I think you know, she was very gracious that she's like, yeah, I'm not glad that it was you, but I'm glad that you went through that. Yeah. Um. And it uh, probably changed you. Yeah. Well, it did, and um. I mean, it was just, again, a step on the process of like, well, why wasn't that the right situation? You know, that was, it was very clear that it wasn't the right way, but why? And so it got me questioning, you know, and, and that, that, and that sometimes are the seeds of protest and dissent and the things that, you know, you know, not being okay with the status quo of white supremacy and, and, and patriarchy. So I just thought I'd share that, that fun story. And, and Jody is one of my all time favorite human beings on the planet. So and if you, too. yeah, oh my goodness, just so great. So, um, so you should check out Hazel. If you absolutely, can. and and Team Dresh, and uh, I mean, yeah, she's she's one of my heroes. Thanks, Todd. Yeah.